Hey, it's Diana and Susanna, your favorite global health scientists. And you're listening to Global Caveat. Today, we're going to talk about something we see in the news all the time, stem cells. You may have heard about how stem cells are used to treat diseases or used as anti-aging treatments. We also get real and talk about the risks and limitations, like bone formations in your face or even death. But before we get started, we do want to thank all our supporters who make Global Caveat possible. We appreciate your shares, your money, your subscriptions, and your reviews. You can also become a contagion by signing up as a patron for as little as $1 a month. This season, we have new content on Patreon. We will be hosting two Q&A sessions every month, one with us, your favorite scientists, and one with different guests we've had on the show. If you have any burning questions, requests, or things you'd like to ask with the privacy of anonymity, this is for you. Now let's dive in. On today's episode, we'll be talking with Naomi Kobelik, a stem cell researcher based out of Australia. Hi, Naomi. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hi. <laughs> hello, hello. I'm so happy you're here. It's a great conversation. I'm so happy to be having. here, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, to start off, let's do a short introduction about yourself and then some contact info that people can reach out to you if they have any questions. Oh yeah, my name is Naomi Kobelik. I'm doing my PhD here at the University of Technology, Sydney. I am past my three and a half year mark and I am so close to submitting. So I'm almost there. I'm on the home stretch um, and I study stem cells. Uh, my handles, they're all at Naomi Kobelik on everything. So ResearchGate, LinkedIn, Instagram is where I live, but I'm still on things like Twitter and Facebook too. Awesome. awesome. I like that it's consistent, Naomi yeah. Kobelik for everything. It's a unique name. It's my, it's my brand, if you will. <laughs> uh, let's talk about stem cells because that's what we're here for today. Hell yeah. We'll deep dive straight in. Um, so stem, stem cells are super popular. You hear about them all the time. But do either of you feel like you really know what stem cells are? No. No. I, please, yeah, please it's weird me. because we talk about them. <laughs> yes. We talk about them so often, but we very rarely actually cover what they are and how they function. Um, so just your real basics, stem cells are defined by two things. They have the ability to self-renew so they can grow and grow and grow. And they also have the ability to turn into different types of cells, meaning they can differentiate. Um, there are all different sources of stem cells. The ones you used to hear about, you know, back in the day were embryonic stem cells. Everyone was like, ooh, embryonic stem cells, so scary. <laughs> Not that scary at all. Um, but there are some obvious ethical constraints with that. And more recently, you hear more about adult stem cells. So we have bone marrow stem cells, which are in your bone. We have them in your fat. We have stem cells in our blood. They're just literally chilling all over our body. And we're at a point now where scientists can even create stem cells from other cells in your body. So we take something like some of your skin and we can turn those into induced pluripotent stem cells. It's a huge mouthful of a word, um, but they're really, really cool. And the cool thing about them is they're great for research purposes because you can grow them indefinitely. Mm -hmm. Whereas things like those adult sources I mentioned before, like fat stem cells and bone marrow stem cells, all of those, you can only grow them for a limited amount of time. Yeah. Okay. So my exposure to stem cells is was in high school. I had a friend mm -hmm. who had an injury. I think, I think it was her ankle. Yeah. And she had surgery and then she had mentioned that she was getting stem cell treatment to regenerate some of the dead tissue or I'm, I could be totally botching this. Um, yeah. but the only thing, the main takeaway was essentially she had something that wasn't regenerating well to help her heal. And so then her doctor was using stem cells to help that regeneration process so that she could heal better. Um, and she was an athlete. So that's also why she was, um, more pressed to rehabilitate back to her like prime condition so that she can go back yeah. and do her sports. But I don't know if that's, total crap or if that there's some validity to that because I have also heard from people say like oh that's like that's really dumb that's not really how it works yeah. yeah so whenever you hear about stem cell therapies in my head this little red flag pops up and it's waving there frantically and you need to really get more information mm -hmm. because they're pitched as this golden cure to everything like they're going to come in and fix it all and and in theory that makes sense because these cells can replicate they can grow and grow and grow and then because they can turn into different types of cells they have the potential to repair or even replace damaged tissue so that's why we're so excited about them in the clinic but the reality is with the exception of stem cells from blood all other stem cell treatments are still in research 
research, preclinical or clinical phases. Mm-hmm. And we have to move through those phases to make sure that we know that the treatment you receive is firstly safe and then, of course, that it actually works. Mm-hmm. So in the US, there are heaps and heaps of different stem cell treatments you can get, and that's actually all around the world. And majority of the stem cell treatments that you're looking at are actually these unproven stem cell treatments. And I don't blame patients for getting those treatments because, you know, your friend, for example, a doctor would have recommended it to her. If she looks it up, Mm -hmm. there are clinics probably all around her hometown, maybe one down the road from her. And these are all run by medical professionals. As someone looking at this, there's no reason for you to be skeptical because you trust the medical system that we operate in. But it's just really unfortunate the more you dive into it, you realize there's all these faults. Mm -hmm. Um, Even as a researcher, you know, I first started because... I wanted to be able to cure diseases. I was like, you know, I'm a scientist. I'm passionate about creating change. I want to cure someone's illness. And I thought stem cells were the perfect way to do that. And then the more I started to look into it, I was like, wow, there is so little evidence for these treatments, yet we're moving so quickly to offer them to people. Mm -hmm. If you want to know, like when we talk about unproven stem cell treatments, there's two ways people look at it. They either think about when you travel overseas, Mm -hmm. that's your um, stem cell tourism, or when you get it in your own home country. Um, Stem cell tourism was really, really popular a while ago. And it sounds like, you know, a really fun holiday, hop on your plane, fly over to whatever country, sip on your cocktail, get some stem cells jabbed into you. (laughs) And that's kind of what it is. There was a particular clinic that's closed now, but it operated in Germany. It was called the Excel Center. And the reason why I like to focus on that clinic is because I'm Australian and we had a lot of people from Australia traveling over there to this particular clinic. Hmm. Um, This clinic has treated literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of patients Hmm. for everything. Like I'm talking diabetes, stroke, you name it. They have a cure for it. Um, I do want to remind you that what we're talking about here are unproven stem cell treatments. Mm -hmm. So it should really come as no surprise that there were some very serious adverse events. Mm -hmm. Notably, they were found um, to be giving stem cells intracranially. So they were injecting stem cells into the brains of children as young as 10. So we know these treatments don't, we know there's, we know there's no proof of these treatments working, yet we're injecting stem cells into the brains of children as young as 10. What is that supposed to even, like, what are Uh, they claiming that? That sounds painful for the kids. It, it probably was. And there was, there was an 18 month old child who actually passed away as well at this clinic. So it's just wild that, do stem cells have potential? Hell yes. Like that's why I'm researching them and they are these incredible cells. But because we're not following this rigorous clinical process to test that they're safe and that they actually work, mm-hmm. it's just so risky. And we're putting so many people through this incredibly unethical system and just exploiting them. Mm. And the reason why you see this is because they're extremely financially beneficial for these companies. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. in Australia, we have more than 65 predatory clinics offering these unproven stem cell treatments. Um, To give you a bit of like a global perspective, we have the fifth highest number of stem cell clinics per capita. Wow. Um, Yes. So that's actually more per person than you would have, say, in America. But if you were to look at the state of California alone, they have comparable number of stem cell clinics to all of Australia. Um, So it really depends on what you're looking. So is the US number one? No, no, no. Not at all. Um, but it's these numbers are always changing at the moment as well because we have new regulation coming in around the world, albeit a bit too slowly. So it's really hard to keep track of exactly what's happening at this current point in time. But with these 65 predatory clinics in Australia, at least that's what the latest data was saying, it's really concerning because they're treating, again, pretty much everything. And they charge you around 10,000 AUD a pop. So you get one lot of injections, $10,000. And you're told if it doesn't work, you're encouraged to try it again and again and again because sometimes it doesn't work the first go. Mm. So you have these people that are often desperate. They find this treatment that gives them hope. It sounds incredible. It is offered by medical practitioners. It's in these real clinics. There's no reason for them to have red flags. So they go and get this treatment and they're told it doesn't work to try again, to try again and to try again. And maybe, look, by this point, you spent thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000. Maybe you have a disease that limits your ability to work. So perhaps you didn't have that much savings there. Maybe you had to crowdsource that money or borrow that money from family members. If you've invested forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 and then you've suddenly realized this treatment isn't working and you found the resources to explain that these are unproven stem cell treatments, 
I can understand why people don't go out and talk about it and why we don't hear about it because there will be a lot of, of guilt and shame with that when it's it's not at all the patient's fault. But I can mm-hmm. understand how they've been like roided by this really unethical system. So I have a question. Um, mm. You mentioned that there's two different types that we can talk about stem cells. One where they kind of morph and change and the other one was mm-hmm. what kind again? Um, so there's all different types of stem cells. Okay. I mean, primarily you can think about it as like the ones you get from embryos the ones you get from adults, and then the ones that we create in the clinic. Um, And all of those stem cells have the ability to grow and self-renew, and then also the ability to change into different types of cells. Okay. But that's called their differentiation capacity. So they can, for example, embryonic stem cells can change into pretty much anything you want, Mm -hmm. whereas adult sources of stem cells have limited capacities to do so. Okay. So for someone that just doesn't have, has like zero knowledge on like how cells work Mm -hmm. and what stem cells are and everything. Mm -hmm. So stem cells essentially, what, where do you source the stem cells? Where do they come from? It depends. In these unproven stem cell treatments, um, we saw a really huge peak in how often people were getting these treatments when they realized they could get them from their fat. So those are your adipose stem cells. Those are the ones I actually study. Mm -hmm. And the reason being that, you know, people go for liposuction for cosmetic reasons Mm -hmm. anyway. If they thought, that such a minimally invasive procedure could yield them a cure to their disease, you can understand why it's so popular. So like my like cells, adipose- right? Like the cells mm-hmm. that I have in my body right now, they can serve mm-hmm. as stem cells. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now- We have like functioning stem cells all over us as okay. we're just sitting here chatting. Okay. Now, if I were to, if I had some kind of disease, mm-hmm. like let's say I have some kind of cancer and then I went to this clinic and they're like, we can- give you stem cell treatment to treat your cancer, cure your cancer. Mm -hmm. And it'll be good because we'll take healthy stem cells from your body and inject them and target your cancer cells. Now that sounds really like shady to me because that sounds one, a little weird, but that's because I have a little bit knowledge of how cancer works. Mm -hmm. But if you inject stem cells into a body where your cells aren't functioning the way that they should be, is there even a possibility for those stem cells to then change in a way and start multiplying and look like cancer cells as well? So I'm going to answer that in two separate ways. Okay. First of all, the example you, the example you chose of um, using stem cells to treat cancer, uh-huh. that's actually one of the only successful stem cell treatments you have. So when oh, you were okay. going to pick a disease, I was like, I thought you were going to say, you know, I don't know, you can honestly pick any disease from a hat. <laughs> and I would have been like, boom, unproven stem cell treatment <laughs> proved my point. And you said cancer. And I was like, God damn it. <laughs> but um, that's just it. When we talk about Blood stem cells, your hematopoietic stem cells. Um, we have incredibly successful hematopoietic stem cell oh. treatments for cancers such as leukemia and multiple myeloma. So in that sense, a lot of those cancer stem cell treatments often are very well researched and very um, well proven. Okay. So there's that part. Um, the second part we should answer, maybe I'll give you a different example. So we'll use multiple sclerosis as a clinical trial, honestly, um, here in Sydney, where they're using stem cells to treat multiple sclerosis. Mm-hmm. But we have to understand we aren't just taking stem cells, putting them in and hoping they're going to work because this is a full disease system. You can't just chuck cells in and be like, go for it, fix yeah. the problem. Mm-hmm. Instead, what we actually do is they want to wipe out everything that's there. So the treatment you receive is coupled typically with a chemotherapy. So you want to wipe out and clear your system. And then the idea is you're providing stem cells to replenish that system. So these stem cells aren't just don't have this innate magical ability to hone in wherever they need and solve the problem. And that's another problem with a lot of stem cell treatments that we see. They aren't really targeted. They're just taking cells and putting them into you. In fact, there was this loophole in Australia where um, you used to be able to just get fat in the clinic, extract stem cells and put them back into the patient. And you're not even growing the cells. So you're extracting such a few number of cells, you're putting them back typically into their bloodstream. And it's like, what do you think that's going to do? Like, mm-hmm. what, what, you, you have to get a treatment to work. There are so many variables we need to consider. Is it a targeted treatment? Are we putting it in the right place? Are we giving you the right quantity? Are they mm-hmm. um, coupled with the right treatments to make sure they actually work? And because these unproven stem cell treatments aren't going through this clinical process, we don't have the answer to those questions, yeah. yet we have all these claims that they're successful. So all these patients, instead of being enrolled in these proper rigorous clinical trials, are going ahead and receiving these treatments, which probably aren't going to work, have the potential to really, really harm them. And then the scientific industry is really struggling because we aren't collecting all that data that we need to actually create real discoveries. Mm-hmm. I'm confused mm-hmm. as to why there seems to be so little regulation around those predatory clinics 
because you think about something like vaccines, and before a vaccine mm-hmm. goes out into the public, there's so much rigorous research and trials that go into it. So if you look at something like stem cells, where you're also injecting something into your body, mm-hmm. why, why the lack of regulation? Yeah. So the main reason why there's a big lack of regulation is because we're typically working with autologous cells, meaning they are your own cells. So for example, if I wanted to move my ass cheek to my face, mm-hmm. I could do that. There's no law that says I can't do that with my own body. Yeah. And it's the same principle here where if I'm extracting stem cells from my fat, legally, I can use them in my own body. And that was kind of the regulatory loophole that everyone was functioning under. And then different countries have different laws coming into place that have different limitations. For example, in, I think it was August last year in Australia, um, the TGA released this new law that limits direct-to-consumer advertising in Australia, which is fantastic because that's a big reason why it's such a huge problem, which is great. But, you know, you can still get these unproven stem cell treatments and a quick Google search will also show them to you as well. Mm-hmm. So we're not, we're not really, we're making the first steps, but as a global community, we have so much further to go. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have this other thing that I've been thinking about because I recently saw this and because we've just talked mostly about like injected stem cells. What's, mm-hmm. what's up with, um, stem cell facials? Like they're putting it on what? your face. Have you seen this? It's like that thing where you can get a facial. And they had like that so that roller facial? thing where they like micro blades in your face. They like do a thing where what? they like centrifuge it, and they're like, "Oh, we like pulled these things out, and we're gonna put it back on your face, and it's gonna make you youthful again." It's a load of shit. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we can break that into two parts again. <laughs> okay. There's two different ways people talk about stem cell treatments for facial treatments. Yeah. Um, you either have the ones where like you buy, you know, your face cream or your face wash and it says like contains stem cells. First of all, what stem cells? Like, are they talking about cells from a plant stem? Because you can still call them stem cells. You know what I mean? Like there's this one my friend was using, I can't remember the brand. And she was talking about how it's like, it's been really great for her for other reasons. Yeah. And we were looking at it and I was like, bruh, have you read this? It says it contains like, you know, not a magical mix, but something something like that to that effect, you know, our, our unique novel mix of six rose stem cells. And I was like, six rose stem cells? <laughs> like, what does that mean? Does that mean you got six different rose breeds and took their stems and made a mix of their cells? Or have you got six cells from the stem of a rose and then put them into this cream? Like, I have no idea what you're even selling. Yeah. But because people attach stem cells with, you know, this incredible rejuvenation process, they're able to sell more of their product mm-hmm. by saying that. And then you have the other side of it where people are trying to actually put stem cells, like actual stem cells onto your face or inject them into your face, whatever it may be. And those can get really risky. So there was actually a case, and this isn't well documented because remember when we're doing things outside of clinical trial, we don't have this rigorous process to actually figure out what's happening. We find out through freak cases that choose to come forward. And there was actually a woman who had anti-aging facial treatment with stem cells and she had this clicking. You know, that little clicking that was happening in her face. I couldn't work out what was happening. And they were actually found to have these little bone formations (gasps) in her face. And I don't know why we're so surprised by that because stem cells have the potential to turn into a plethora of cells. Oh, my God. God. No. How do you stop that? I mean, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's And, like, that's that's something that's very annoying and scary but trivial. I, I mean... In Florida, there were three women who underwent fat stem cell treatment for their macular degeneration, and all three of them went blind. Here in Australia, just across the bridge from where my university is, there was a woman who underwent fat stem cell isolation, but the treatment she was meant to get had no evidence it would improve her condition, and she passed away from complications of the surgery. So we have this full level of, like, you know, dumb, scary formations in your bones to people going blind and people actually dying from these unproven stem cell treatments. Like, it is just so wildly unethical. And we just don't know enough about them. I'm still Ugh. creeped out by the things in the face, the bones in the face. I can't. I haven't stopped thinking oh about God. it since you said it. Oh yeah. Why? How did, how did this stem cell thing become such a sexy thing for the public? I mean, I like, it sounds really awesome. Like you said, like, this idea of re- regenerating yeah. and, like, fixing things. It almost sounds like this magic fix, but I'm just wondering how did it go from, oh, here's this like scientific idea that we could try using in Mm -hmm. clinical trials or whatever to this like craze 
essentially, where people are like, I have to get this because it's the cure for everything. Money. The answer is money. It's because there's so much money to be made there that it's so easy. You have these vulnerable patient populations who are looking for hope. You provide them with that hope and they open up their wallets for you. I think the real reason why we see this happening is because there is just so much money to be made. And we know in any industry, there are always people there waiting to exploit that and take your money. Who's the butt face that started the exploitation? I just want to find that person. I mean, there's so many of them. (laughs) And even if you look at it, I think some people actually are quite well-intentioned. So we're talking about what's happening um, really predominantly. What I'm talking about is what's happening in Australia, and that's quite similar to what's happening in America. But my main expertise Mm -hmm. is Australia, obviously, because it's where I am. That's what I know the most about. And we're trying to introduce more laws to, I guess, protect people. Um, mm-hmm. And you see places like Google as well, who've now limited advertising from unproven therapies, which is great. So we're making wow. all these great awesome. steps. But then we look at other countries like Japan. Now, they are just at the end of this five-year, essentially, regulatory free-for-all, where their government has reduced regulations to encourage people to try and find these therapies. And when I first started in this particular field, I saw the model in Japan And at the beginning, I was like, wow, what a great way to have innovation. What a great way to get things to patients. This is going to really spark a lot of potential therapies. But there is a lot of controversy around that. I mean, obviously, you understand how bad unproven stem cell treatments are because I've just been yelling and screaming about it. (laughs) But I didn't know about that when I first started. I was like, yes, exciting, amazing. And then now when I take a step back from, from what I understand at this point in my life and look at the system in Japan, It's really concerning because they can really fast track these treatments through this system without these rigorous clinical trials. So after this five-year free-for-all, Japan now has more than 3,700 stem cell treatments available. That's 3,700 different treatments. Yeah? That's insane. (laughs) And then if you actually have... with that many? Oh, yeah. So there's different types that they have there. If you look at how they're distributed... More than 3,300, so the main bulk of it is in autologous stem cell therapy, so when you take cells from your own body and they're performing a similar function. And then a smaller proportion, so about 330 of them, are looking at the same thing, so autologous stem cells, your own cells, that are performing a different function. That's when we talk about things like, you know, um, a lot of those adipose stem cell treatments. And okay. there was a quote from a woman that I I really looked up to when I first started in this field. Um, and she said, the law was made for men of good nature, but there are many that are not good. And that's mm. exactly mm. it. If we are all people mm. who are looking to benefit everyone and, and improve their conditions, then of course a system like this makes sense. But as we know, the world is trash. People are looking to make money and they're looking to exploit people. And having this system is really concerning because while all of these therapies are available. We're really putting that Japanese population at risk. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really frustrating. And there are particular centers that are claiming their treatments are so successful that they don't need any of these clinical trials because the data they have is so promising. Yet the Japanese government is actually discouraging them to publish these results. So there's mm. no tangible evidence for the patients or for the scientific community. So it's just, it's really, really concerning. And having, you know, this hotspot in Japan of innovation, you know, you know that's bringing in money, yeah? yeah. If they offer 3,700 different treatments, people are flocking there. Companies yeah. are flocking there. It's now becoming this innovative hub. Other countries, other governments are looking at that and trying to mimic that process because it brings in money. But what are we, what, what is that a cost of? Like, what, mm-hmm. what's the cost of that for the patients going through these treatments? It's just, it's so concerning and so frustrating. And then we have these two dual systems where we have countries that are trying to encourage more of these unproven stem cell treatments and then other countries that are really trying to tighten the regulation. And it's it's hard to induce, um, to introduce more laws when there are other systems that are doing essentially the opposite, where they're deregulating it. Yeah. So what do you suggest for someone who is looking for treatment for any kind of condition and then there's mm-hmm. just so many predatory clinics out there and predatory doctors? Yeah. So if I went in to get treatment for something, like what are some things that I should look for? I guess what kind of questions should I ask to make sure that I'm not getting some kind of weird treatment that's not proven or anything? 
I think the first thing is to recognize that there is potential with these treatments. Like I'm really ripping on them and making them sound terrible, but you know, there's a reason why I'm, I've spent so much of my career and will continue to spend all of my career being a stem cell researcher. And that's mm-hmm. because of the potential that they have. I don't want to, don't want to make people feel like there is no hope because, because there yeah. really truly is. Um, but in order to make sure you're not being blatantly exploited, that gets a little bit trickier. There are good resources to use. So ISSCR, um, they're the International Stem Cell Society. You can trust their resources. Samantha Yameen, so Science Sam, has some very easily accessible resources on her page that I recommend as well that you have a look at if you're considering treatments. And the main thing to really look for is that if it's not a, like, if it's not blood stem cells, you want to make sure that it's part of a registered clinical trial through a reputable institution, so like a university okay. or a hospital. That would make sense. So those are those are the good first things to look for. Then when you get more information on the treatment, you want to look for those negative side effects because all treatments have negative side effects. There are risks. And when we're looking at stem cell treatments, there are substantial risks associated with these therapies. Mm-hmm. If you have a treatment center going, come on in, we'll cure your disease, bop, bop, red flag, you aren't curing shit. If they're going to say, oh, and there's no risk associated, bop up, another red flag, there are always risks associated. So those are some of the things you can start to look out for. But it is really, really difficult to navigate because how are you meant to know what is and isn't reliable information? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think understanding what sources are good, so ISSCR is great. You'll find um, ISSCR can um, link to specific organizations in your own country of origin as well. So I would trust ISSCR. If you're looking at this first glance, then Samantha Yamin's resources are really, really great as well. And then moving forward, you just want to keep on looking at and collecting all those red flags and making sure that if you decide to have this treatment, that you are making an informed decision and you have all the information that you need and you know who you're working with, where it's going to be, what the risks are, what your actual treatment is. So a lot of the time we find that um, people receive these stem cell treatments, they couldn't even tell you what type of stem cell they have, let alone how it's being administered or how many cells they're receiving. And this is the type of stuff that you really you really need to know and you shouldn't be afraid to ask those questions. Mm -hmm. If people are hesitant to give you that information, then that's another red flag. And if you have any number of red flags, I would lean away from those treatments because we don't know if they are even safe, let alone if they're actually going to work. And I often get told, you know, but what if we're so desperate that this is our last resort, it's all we have. Mm -hmm. We're in this incredible age where we have, we are constantly discovering new things. Medicine overall is incredibly successful. There are lots of treatment options. I think people look at stem cells as this incredible um, cure, but in reality, they aren't that yet and we aren't there. So mm-hmm. even though you might be so desperate, you want to try that last resort, what if it makes your condition worse? What if it kills you? You know, we have lots of other treatment options and there are so many different clinical trials you can try and be a part of that may be more beneficial that have better scientific evidence. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about accessibility while you were talking. So for the mm. for the treatments that are that do have good research backed up. So we mentioned cancer earlier, certain types of cancers. Are they expensive to get? See, I have no idea because we have I'm very fortunate to be in Australia where we have a really good um medical system. Um mm-hmm. my mom actually had open heart surgery and didn't pay a cent. So mm-hmm. I've never really wow. had to think what about this yeah. world you live in. <laughs> yeah, I've never really had to think about the cost of treatment. So when it comes to something like that, I honestly wouldn't know because I've I've just been in a very fortunate system. Yeah. Sure. Um yeah. so besides cancer, what other ailments and maladies are proven yeah. to be so like, take this on with a grain like of salt. Pos- yeah. But um, when it comes to replacing skin, it works pretty well. So if you have a um, severe burn or chronic wound, stem cells are used to replace skin. But there are so many different ones on the market that some of them are really great and some of them still require more research. And they're also used for some blood disorders. And we're getting there. Like we have a lot of stem cell treatments moving through those clinical trials. Like the one I mentioned that comes out of um, the hospital just down the road from my university. There are so many exciting things on the rise and popping Mm -hmm. up. But I just, I can't help but feel frustrated at how much more there would be if we were actually working in a properly regulated system yeah Mm. yeah what do you hope it does in the future as in stem cell treatments in general Mm -hmm. well i hope they can actually reach their full potential and i really 
I don't know if this is going to happen, but I would love to see things to be better regulated so that I can go out and talk about the exciting aspects of stem cells. There mm, is yeah. so many, so many incredible things that we're doing with them as a research model in the clinic, but I'm always he- hesitant to um, share those stories because we already hear so much of that in the media that I'm so concerned I'm going to keep on contributing to this excessive hype rather than providing people with realistic hope. So mm-hmm. as much as it's a, like my personality is bubbly and happy, that's what I do, but I, I prefer talking about the risks so I can reshape people's understanding to actually have that realistic hope about stem cell therapies. Mm-hmm. But my hope would be one day to not have to do that because there is so much exciting science that I want to be able to talk about, but I, I can't have that conversation because it's just on my conscience that I'm, someone will only hear that and not hear my other work. And then they might move forward with getting that therapy when realistically they shouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't even know how to ask this question because I don't even think you know the answer and maybe, (laughs) maybe a future guest will know the answer. Mm -hmm. Um, So like a lot of the issues are around like ethics, right? Mm -hmm. And like, honestly, like how... How do <laughs> how how do doctors like even tell me get how to the, yeah how do they get to the point where they're like okay doing that because like everyone has to take the Hippocratic oath right where you don't like do no harm whereas there's like so much potential harm to be done and clearly there's like so much so many unknowns where obviously the good can't justify the potential harm. But I think there right. are doctors who right. care about the science, but they don't care about the patient. Mm. And like, even like, let's talk about this hypothetically, but let's say when I started, like I did, I was really hopeful, wanted to cure diseases with stem cells. Let's say I was in a project where my data was contributing towards treatments and I was like, boom, yeah, awesome. And yeah. then at some stage, I started to clock that these were unproven stem cell treatments, but maybe the people who are receiving these treatments were like, wow, I'm feeling better. Like, I, I think some people just move through these paths where they aren't exposed to the truth and by the time they notice they're in too deep, that they're just in denial, I like to believe that, okay, there are a lot of trash people who've established that, but I like yeah. to believe that majority of scientists and majority of people are good, well-intentioned people. But maybe you've been in that field and you're in so deep that it's so hard to turn around. And you guys understand this as researchers, you know, when you start to form your career, it's like you're digging this hole, yeah? You're digging in and you're digging deeper and you're digging deeper. And the further and further you go, you're like in this tiny little hole in the ground. If you want to change research fields or speciality, it's damn hard because you know so much about this tiny little area, but so little Mm -hmm. about things outside of that, that perhaps, and just speaking theoretically, people have been so deep in that hole by the time they've realized they don't want to reshape their career and point out that everything they've been doing is just a load of shit. But (laughs) it doesn't justify it, but I feel like maybe that's, what's happening and a lot of these a lot of these stem cell like centers that offer like these predatory clinics to offer these unproven stem cell treatments yeah they're often based off of patients feeling better so you know if you're treating something in your knee you jab it in you feel Mm. better good the treatment worked but on the day-to-day basis of the people they're interacting with they're making people feel better from their understanding their treatments are being improved so maybe that's what's happening but like we know most of that's just placebo yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. I could see that. I could yeah. definitely see that being part of it. I mean, like my, my partner, I mean, he, he told me about a study where patients who have maybe like a shoulder problem or like a knee joint problem or something and they'll go in for treatment. And if you just pretend to give them an, an injection versus mm-hmm. actually giving them an injection, even if it's just pretend, like just having that like jab, it makes them think that they're getting better. Yeah. And so then they feel better. And so that make that was going to ask that too. Like, what if there are just so many treatments out there where they inject like this insignificant amount of stem cells, but they get charged, I don't know, 30 grand, 40 grand for it per injection. And it ends up doing nothing, mm. but then the patient just feels better. Yeah. So like there's obviously, I think if there were no risks associated and people were just spending money to feel better, it's like, you know what? I don't really care. The same reason why, like, my mom takes vitamins and I'm like, you have expensive piss, do what you want. It makes her feel like she's <laughs> no. being healthier, she's feeling good. Um, mm-hmm. The vitamins she's on don't she, – she's, she's not stopping the medication she's already taking. She just takes them supplementary and they don't um, interfere with the medications that she's on. So mm-hmm. I don't mind. Mm-hmm. She can do whatever she wants and spend her money. And she thinks she's feeling better. But the difference with these stem cell therapies is that there are huge risks and mm-hmm. they could be potentially lethal. 
and that's a problem where we're exploiting people, we're taking their money, that's already bad enough, but it's like yeah. you could be really harming them or killing them. Yeah. And then it's just it's just so incredibly unethical and I don't really yeah. – I don't fully understand how we got here, but then I take a step back and I look at the world and I'm like, no, I get how we got here. Yeah, <laughs> People I are mean. just greedy. But there's, there's a lot we can do to change it. And I think one of the first things is sitting through this conversation. Like the three of us were having a chat beforehand. We're bubbly. We're happy. We love chatting. This conversation feels different. It feels heavy and dense, but allowing yourself to sit in it, to experience it, to understand it, you're already making leaps and bounds. And then yeah. if you can try and introduce people into that conversation and start educating one another, that's the only way we can make this change. And I understand why it's slow because it's, it's difficult and it's hard, but it's something we all need to try and be a little bit better at. Yeah, I think it's like always interesting how fast, not just stem cells, but like a lot of different fads and stuff like take hold and mm. they're potentially really dangerous or harmful, but then it takes so long to undo them. And like, yeah. it's the same with like policies and like other types of politics and different things, like not just like health policies, but like just in general Any politics, right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's like, oh, we implemented this thing and oh shit, that was bad, but <laughs> I don't know how to undo it. It's going to take like five times as long to undo it. So And like, no matter how much evidence you have, you don't always see change. Let's take climate change, for example. You can't get more evidence if you wanted to. To. I mean, we can, but you don't need more evidence. <laughs> yeah. The evidence is there. Like it's, you can't argue with that evidence. And yet we aren't seeing policy change that reflects that. So it's the same thing that we're seeing in this industry, not to the same extent, but we're building up evidence against this, but we're not going to see when, or we're trying to see policy change, but it's not going to be a quick fix. So while policy change takes its sweet ass time getting there, and I desperately hope it does get there, I think the best way that we can actually act against these unproven stem cell treatments is to educate one another. Because yeah. if you look at places like US, Australia, and Canada, the perception is that most people perceive stem cells to have far greater benefits than risks. And that is not mm. the case. But if we can start this conversation and talk to one another, educate one another, we can, we can get in there before people are even getting those treatments. We can help them make informed decisions about their own health. And that's where I think I push for change the most because I know policy takes time and there are other people working on that. And that's great that they're working on that. Um, and we are seeing legislative changes, but I think we really need to work on that public perception as well. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you would know the answer to this question, but mm -hmm. so far we've talked about various countries. So we talked about Australia, the US, you mentioned mm -hmm. Canada, and you talked about Japan earlier. So all these have are high income countries with a lot of resources, which is also why I'm, I'm assuming why there are there are also a lot of predatory doctors and clinics who are reaching mm -hmm. out to vulnerable populations to you know extract and exploit money. Yeah. Um. But what about in like low middle income countries? Is stem are oh stem they're cells... still rampant there as well. Okay. Yeah. And is it is it kind of the same idea? Just people going in, setting up these clinics, exploiting people, so or this is because this is yeah. Oh, cause I'm wondering, like, I, like, I know there's that part of the exploitation, but I also know, like, mm -hmm. science can be exploitative too, where they try to do clinical trials without informed consent. And I'm wondering if there are cases that you know of where they try to do stem cell trials with populations, um, mm. anywhere in the world without getting informed consent. I don't have one off the top of my head for that, but I think in this particular field, it's not hard to get informed consent. Mm -hmm. So I feel like this is probably less of an issue here because people want to sign up for these treatments. Like no matter mm -hmm. where you're looking, they're like, yeah, stem cell treatment going to cure me. So I think the issue is less around informed consent, but we find okay. these treatments all over the globe. And whether you're, whether those predatory clinics are targeting their own population or mm -hmm. if they're trying to get people to come in through stem cell tourism, there's money to be made either way. Yeah. Okay. So that's why it's such a huge global problem everywhere that's my cat I mean, meowing i'm so sorry <laughs> oh, hi rufus um, but i mean part of informed consent is actually understanding it so like just because like, they're getting they a waiver you, you can die from this? so there's 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 um a lot of problems with predatory clinics around the globe as well where they don't they don't necessarily disclose the risks because they're saying mm -hmm. that there are no risks associated so in my mind, mm -hmm. that is unethical and then you're not receiving yeah. actual informed consent. But that really comes down to legislation in each country. Mm -hmm. And because mm -hmm. the popular opinion is that these treatments have more benefits than risks, mm -hmm. then people aren't really, um, they're not expecting to see any risks. So when they don't see them, they're like, good oh, 
they sign up, get their stem cells in them, and then you just you just hope that treatment doesn't actually harm them. Mm. Man, that's a lot to think about. Yeah, because yeah, it's, it's heavy. Just, <laughs> it's a like it just it's because like people question pharmaceuticals all the time, right? Because yeah. like yes. we've been able. Uh, I guess it goes back to like education and like media and like society perception of it, right? Where people mm. are like they've now been more conditioned to be like oh shit like a lot of pharma things aren't good for you like the some of things are just like some medicines aren't good for you like some are fine and like that's because it's just been in the news more and more and more and being like oh maybe i'm being over medicated like i don't need that but you don't ever like you'd never hear anything about stem cells or stem cell clinics in the same way although Mm -hmm. they're like clearly manipulating research the same way that like sometimes pharma manipulates research right like it's like sort of operating on the same border of ethics versus monetary gain and financial gain but they're not publicized the same way that big pharma is and you know there are a lot of people from from the the flip side there are a lot of people who have particular conditions or have children with particular conditions where they're just so desperate and they are really sick and tired of how slow our system is and it is you know moving through clinical trials takes forever so from from their personal perspective they want to see it less regulated so there's more treatments becoming available so there's more being tested so we can work out what what actually is successful um which i think is is the reason why we're we're seeing such a big push for this as well so i i i cannot begin to understand what it would be like to be so ill that i was so desperate for a particular treatment let alone to have a child that needed a yeah. treatment really desperately so i can't um i can't begin to imagine what that would feel like and i can only really speak about it objectively we're looking at it i think having less regulations is slowing down clinical success ultimately and Mm -hmm. it's just leading to a lot more exploitation but i can really see from someone else's perspective how they would firmly disagree with that and want less regulation yeah Yeah. i mean it's heartbreaking if you think about it right if you come to a point of desperation like you're looking for answers and like you mentioned earlier stem cells if successful and if you know if done well i think there's so much potential for it and i think that like that translates as a lot of hope it does so yeah so and we don't want people to lose hope like hope is incredibly important um i think it's just about having these hard conversations to try and shift that so people have realistic hope because they should have hope like it it is exciting there is so much potential Mm -hmm. it's just it's just a real minefield trying to navigate what's real and what isn't and all the different risks that you could i guess expose yourself to yeah right um this is like sort of related but mostly tangential Mm -hmm. um but i was at a museum the whitney in new york uh like a month or two ago and there was this installation that was about people writing messages in a bottle and like sending them out and like throwing them out into sea and it was like their last hope writing to request from a god i don't remember what god or goddess it is specifically but requesting for like better health for whoever in their family or like themselves or whatever and it was like uh, one of those like last hope type of things and it feels like this is like some of the things are like this is that right it's like targeting the same group of people that like they'll literally Mm -hmm. grab onto anything because they're like even at the point where they're like if I write this message out and like I send it and I throw it into the ocean, maybe that will help me. That will maybe that'll help my loved one. And like, well, you try anything. If it's you can hard. Try That's like so that sad. About. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I can't remember what I was going to say because it just kind of escaped my brain. But when you were talking about how people do things like that, like I think about how my mum flew to Thailand to pray for my auntie when she was ill. Um, and it just kind of, my brain went there and then I just completely lost my train of thought of what I was going to say about stem cell therapies. Um, but I think the biggest thing is like when, when we move forward having these conversations, we can't expect people to understand stem cell therapies because even myself as a researcher didn't know this when I first started. And I'm yeah. learning about this as I go on. And these conversations are challenging to have and you need to have a lot of, you just need to listen and understand where people are coming from because a lot of the evidence that they can see says that these treatments are viable and that they're safe and that they should be actually getting them. So I think when we approach these conversations, you can't be like, whoa, that treatment, not working, terrible. Like even when you spoke about your friend, I was like, yeah, it's an unproven stem cell treatment. But I'm not going to start the conversation like that because if I shut you down straight away, you're never going to actually hear what I have to say and understand where I'm coming from. And I think 
because these treatments are so rampant, you're always going to know someone who's received a treatment or they might know someone else who has where they think it has anecdotally improved their condition. So I think it's really important to always come at these conversations gently, to talk about the evidence we do have, to talk about the exploitation and to try to slowly shift that perspective. It's a good good message. Yeah. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you really need to get out there or want to share? Hmm. No, I think because this is really focused more on global health, I focus more on the treatment aspect. But there's so many exciting things mm-hmm. in the research world. Um, did you want to know a little bit about those? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So this is obviously like my little area that I live in. I'm a little <laughs> researcher. So you can extract stem cells from a person and then you can grow them. So you can grow them in a single layer. That's what I do. So you get your stem cells out. They stick down to the bottom of the plastic and then you submerge them in this liquid that contains all the nutrients they need. So it's easy to grow and expand them. You just change that liquid. Um, And because you can grow this single layer of cells, you can study them scientifically, which is really cool. But we can also create these 3D models called organoids. And as the name suggests, they're pretty much these miniature versions of organs, which is super cool. Hmm. Um, So for example, we have cerebral organoids And it's great to have things like that because it's really hard for us to study human brains. I can't just crack your head open, have a look and chuck some drugs on it, yeah? Not really the way it works. (laughs) Whereas we can create these miniature versions of these organs or, you know, specific parts of these organs um, that we can study in a dish. And that's great for understanding how our bodies function. But also because we can get these stem cells from patients with diseases, we can create these little miniature disease models. So Mm -hmm. now not only are we understanding that particular cell, organ, whatever it may be better, but we're now understanding that disease better, which opens up potential for novel drug targets. Mm -hmm. And the cool Mm -hmm. thing is if you can actually discover novel drug targets, guess what you tested on? The disease model you've already created. Mm -hmm. So it's just a really cool way of understanding ourselves and the diseases that are a part of us as well, and then figuring out ways that we can get treatments into clinic quicker. So stem cell research is just this amazing hot pot of excitedness like I I froth so hard at stem cell conferences because there's so much cool stuff everywhere and there's so many different ways we can use stem cells as a research model um, which is just so damn exciting too so that's also contributing to public health as well by fast tracking the discovery and then actually implementation of treatments too Mm -hmm. and it's also important that when we talk about testing drugs you know a lot of the time we move through clinical trials things fail on mice Mm. and then we don't move further with them. It's really important we recognize mice and people are different. Um, So while Mm. stem cell research isn't all the way there, we're moving closer and closer towards having these human ways of testing different drugs. Not to say that you can test an organoid, then shove it straight into a person, not making leaps and bounds like that yet, but we're getting closer and closer um, and moving in that direction, which is really exciting too. That sounds really cool, just like all these little hearts and brains in your lab and yeah like they're super tiny but you could like see them with your eye like you if you know if you look at a layer of cells you can't you can't see a layer of cells with the naked eye Mm -hmm. but these organoids are just just big enough where if you look at them you see that little spot and you're like oh wow cool (laughs) yeah i don't know i don't know why but i think of those like little um this is gonna totally distract from everything (laughs) that you said that was awesome and amazing but those little like videos where like they make the mini foods and stuff with like the mini things (laughs) it was just like oh like mini organs (laughs) or that person that makes the mini food for their hamster yeah that's exactly what i'm thinking about (laughs) and then i have like next to me like next to him is this like little mini lab where i'm like making all these like little miniature organs for the hamster i'm like "Mm, yes miniature brain (laughs) miniature intestines (laughs) How funny. It's like a less cute that version of really that. That sounds really cool though. It is. And it is really yeah. exciting. Um, I just, I just wish I would be, I was able to talk about all of this exciting stuff without having to have that hard, heavy conversation as well to, mm. you know, balance it out. But yeah. I think more people are willing to have that conversation and I'm hearing about it more and more often. And I think if people have the courage to step into that slightly uncomfortable space to have that conversation with people around them, we can we can shift that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I truly do personally believe that's the um, one of the most efficient ways to tackle it because while we're still slowly moving through and having changes from the top, from the bottom, we can come through and change everyone's perspective so they're less interested in receiving those treatments in the first mm-hmm. place. Yeah. 
but you know, that's like me saying, let's make everyone believe that climate change is real. It's just, <laughs> you know, there's, there's, that would, that would be great if that happened. There's just limitations to everything when it comes to science communication. And that's why we need more podcasts yeah. like this. We need more people listening to this. We need more scientists talking. Yeah. Yeah. All true. I'm just gonna snap to that <laughs> a thousand times. <laughs> We just all hop aboard the science communication train, like full steam ahead, yelling and screaming. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's great. I think it's great that you're you're having those hard conversations. Yeah. And yeah. You're like you're very honest about the work that you're doing, which I think is needed more often, right? With yeah. I mean, especially with something so novel and interesting like stem cells. I think it's easy to focus on the positives and be like, yeah, like there's so much hope for it, which is true, but I don't think it has, I don't think it has to be one or the other. Like you can yeah, be yes. super excited and have hope for it and admit that it's a really exciting field while also having these caveats <laughs> about, you know, it, but it's also, you know, kind of underdeveloped in some areas and then there yeah. are some risks to it and then, you know, all these people are exploiting it. And I think you, yeah. like, you can have both and yeah. move forward. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of scientists are encouraged through the ways that we're actually funded to only talk about mm -hmm. the good and then to oversell the shit out of it so you get funding from people. Yeah. It's just, yeah. there's so little money, we're so competitive, we want to be like, I'm going to cure this, I'm going to cure that. You know, we're not going to cure shit. Like, if we could shift the perspectives people are more excited about improved health outcomes, like to improve the quality of their life, that would yep. be so much better than focusing on these cures because cures just, the word cures just really, really like rattles me and annoys yeah. me because instead of people going, oh my goodness, this treatment is working so well, I have a much better quality of life. They're still going, oh, I haven't removed this disease from me. I haven't cured yeah. it. And in a lot of mm -hmm. cases, that isn't, that isn't going to be possible. I mean, yeah. maybe one yeah. day in the future, but not, not really in our lifespans for many diseases. So yeah. I think I understand why scientists talk that way. It's because of this broken system that we're in. But I, I think it's refreshing to hear more scientists talking about the pitfalls and really trying yeah. to get people excited about what is happening because they should be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. I hate to cut this conversation short, but if you have any more questions, Naomi is going to do a Q&A session shortly after this episode is live, right? So yeah, I am. Um, keep a lookout for that. Yeah. Bring all your yeah. questions. There is honestly, there is no such thing as a stupid question. So anything that popped up in your head, just send us a message and let us know and I'll be more than happy to answer it for you. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing that. And that's the episode. Thank you so much, Naomi, for talking with us. As a reminder, you can reach her at Naomi Kobelik on every platform ever, whether that's Instagram, Twitter, ResearchGate, her website. And we have so many resources for this episode, and they can be found on the website as well as the transcript. As a reminder, if you have any questions, you can always reach us at globalcaviat at gmail.com or on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you to all our listeners and supporters for helping this podcast run. And a special thanks to Cordell Glass for producing our music. Thanks for listening.